Hello, Peach of Pearls listeners, and welcome to a new season of Getting to Know You. In season four, we are shaking things up. Instead of getting to know our researchers and the path that led them to pediatric dermatology, this time we're getting to know their research. This season, I'm talking with investigators who've received PEDRA funding for their research projects. In episode one, I am delighted to be joined by Emily Croce. She is a pediatric dermatology nurse practitioner who recently completed her PhD and is now working on her postdoc at the University of Texas in Austin. She received research support from PEDRA for a few projects, including a 2021 PEDRA Research Fellowship Award to study the effects of poverty and environmental exposures across race and ethnicity in children with atopic dermatitis. And she also received a Childhood Eczema Challenge Grant supported in partnership with the National Eczema Association, which is what we're talking about today. So welcome to Getting to Know Your Research, Emily. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I just want to dive right in. The objective of this project was to identify racial disparities in childhood atopic disease prevalence and determine what proportion of those disparities is mediated by socioeconomic status. So break that down for me. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, great question. And I sort of learned that along the way myself. We know in the United States that children who are, you could say, like racially or ethnically minoritized, so Black and Hispanic children, for instance, have um, worse outcomes in atopic dermatitis or eczema and asthma than you can explain away by like genetics or some sort of biological difference. Um, And we also know that socioeconomic status, so like your income, your housing, your employment status, parents' education, et cetera, um, have been like heavily implicated in um, asthma and eczema outcomes. But what hasn't been done very well, and it's tricky to do, but people haven't really been able to figure out exactly how socioeconomic status might help explain those racial and ethnic disparities in atopic diseases, which is important to do because in the United States, socioeconomic status is also very heavily sort of tied to or correlated to race or ethnicity. Absolutely. So this is a really big topic. Why was it important for you to ask this question? You know, when you embark on a research career, you spend a couple of years and you think, wow, I, I know so much. I've learned so much. I'm an expert. And then you dig a little deeper and you realize you've just started to scratch the surface. And what I realized is, you know, we can talk all day about you know, black children have higher rates of eczema and asthma, and we don't know why. And, um, you know, this person, this author, this group found out that lower socioeconomic status um, is, you know, a big risk factor for eczema and asthma. But I, what I didn't understand is how to link the two together and provide like real strong evidence to sort of support what we're all thinking when we think about disparities in atopic diseases. So tell me about the nuts and bolts of this project. Was it a case study review? Was it a retrospective? Talk to me about the methods and the process. Sure. So these were new methods to me, and I thought I'd just kind of crank this out quickly. And I learned that 
second, it's basically a cross-sectional study, which means we took, you know, answers at one moment in time. So we don't know really what was happening before for the kid or after for the child. And we did a secondary data analysis of the National Health Interview Survey or NHIS. And that's the longest running yearly health interview survey in the, in the United States, where basically Every year, there's this complicated strategy for identifying randomly homes that you sample. So you and there's a very long interview where um, one randomly selected adult in one of the selected households answers questions, and then a randomly selected child within that family, um, the parent also answers questions about the child. And so What's neat about it is you can call this a nationally representative study. So there's lots of really great reasons to do studies locally, like in a more, you know, in your city or your clinic or whatever, because you can control a lot more and you can ask more. But what you can't say is, okay, we found in Texas that, you know, 30% of children have eczema and therefore 30% of children in the United States have eczema or, you know, and, and maybe even like a black population or a white population or Hispanic population is different in different states in the United States. And so with the NHIS, they sample very carefully a certain number of people each year. And then they have these survey weights that you apply when you do all of your statistical analyses. And that allows you to sort of generalize to the whole United States. Trying to do research like this really gives you a whole lot of appreciation for the people that are doing this um, and what goes into it. I think sometimes things seem pretty straightforward when you read them all neatly published in the, you know, within the word limit in the journal and <laughs> And you think like, oh, okay. Um, but then you go to do it and it's a whole other beast. Yeah. So we did not directly recruit participants. Um, we basically took this publicly available data and then using what they have available as far as questions that they had asked during certain years, we figured out how we could go about answering our research question. So I want to talk about the results. Give me the layman's version of these results. So basically what we did is um, for most studies, socioeconomic status is just uh, measured by a couple variables, so like income and parent education level. Um, but we know that socioeconomic status is much more than just how much you're earning in a year. So you need to consider things like material hardship, um, generational wealth. So we know that you know two people could have the same exact degree from the same university and have the same job and the same salary. But if they fall on hard times economically, one person might have a fallback and the other person might not. And so um, basically we sought to create this multi-dimensional or multi-variable measure of socioeconomic status. So we selected quite a few um, variables to sort of try and capture the most that we could about socioeconomic status. And then thanks to, I mentioned our collaborators, thanks to my amazing biostatistician collaborator, we figured out methods to do what's called a mediation analysis. And basically with a mediation analysis, what you are attempting to do is to you know, if you're looking at something like the relationship between race or ethnicity and 
In this case, it was eczema prevalence. So whether or not someone develops eczema and um, asthma prevalence, you're trying to figure out, well, what percentage of that risk or, you know, rate of developing asthma or eczema is directly attributed to race or ethnicity? And then what we were trying to figure out is what percentage of that relationship or what proportion of that relationship can be explained by socioeconomic status. We basically identified all of these variables. We performed a very complex mediation analysis that um, took a long time to iron out how to do that and do it well. And then what we were able to determine is that among Black children in the United States, when compared to white children, lower socioeconomic status helps explain about 25% of the disparity mm -hmm. in eczema prevalence, and it explains almost 50% of the disparity in asthma prevalence. So Black children have higher rates of both of those diseases, and the measure that we came up with for SES or socioeconomic status, which we know is missing other things, we know we didn't capture 100%, um, explained about a quarter for of eczema, increased eczema prevalence and half of increased asthma prevalence. So a lot. That seems significant. So what does that mean now moving forward? You have this piece of information that was yielded by this project. What does that mean? What do you do with it now? I struggle with that because I didn't start out as a researcher. I started out as a nurse practitioner and have done that for, and I'm still in the clinic. That's what, like, that's my, that's who I am at, in my core, right? As a pediatric dermatology nurse practitioner. And so, you know, in the clinic, you see a kid with eczema and you educate the family about eczema and you tell them how to take care of their skin and you write some prescriptions and like, that's your intervention, Right. Um, these are these results that are really important, but um, it's a little overwhelming sometimes to think, how do you intervene on something like the fact that Black children in America are have lower socioeconomic status because of centuries of structural racism and inequities and inequality in the United States? Um, but we there were certain factors that we found were seemed to more strongly um, help explain increased prevalence of eczema or asthma. And um, some of those seem to be sort of markers of more extreme poverty. So income mattered. But if a child, for instance, received food stamps, that was more important than if a child or explained more than if a child received welfare. And um, we did some digging and it looks like in order to receive food stamps, you have to be even lower below the federal poverty limit than you do to receive like temporary cash assistance via welfare. So I don't know. Our thinking is, OK, maybe we need to make sure that people are not food insecure. Another factor that seemed to be more important or help explain more of the disparity was renting a home, especially with government assistance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lower income to where you are qualified for rental assistance, that is another big risk factor. So then is it okay, so we need to make sure to intervene on making sure people have quality housing. I don't know. So I think 
that's something that I'm still grappling with is how do we take these results that are exciting and interesting and sort of novel how we approached the problem and then figure out something actionable. Yeah, it's tricky. And especially like you said, with years, you know, centuries of of racism and a, a societal structure that continues to support that, it makes this even more challenging. Like, where do you begin? Absolutely. But I just keep telling myself, you know, we keep talking about it. We keep pr- providing sort of hard data in to support, you know, what we sort of all suspect is going on. And then I think you have to probably make a good argument for how this benefits everyone as a society, not just, you know, the people that we're intervening for, which obviously is the most important part. I don't know. I think you just keep providing evidence, keep talking about it, keep saying it, and hopefully we'll get somewhere. So I want to go back to something that you just touched on when you mentioned that this was a novel approach to this project. So is there some space here to do some like peer education and education within the our own pediatric dermatology community about conducting this type of research based on how you all did it? And then maybe even some education on how to make some small changes within the clinic based on this conversation and and the results that you had? You know, I worked with three really brilliant mentors and I always sort of felt like, okay, there's me and there's these three experts. Of course I bring, I was the only dermatology minded person in the, in the group of the four of us. And so I bring that and I bring my clinical expertise. Um, But I, I, in the end, I think all four of us learned a lot from this project. It was like just really this great collaboration. And I think what I learned is that we're all still learning and understanding how to tackle research questions like these. And the pediatric dermatology space, and especially people that are focused on racial and ethnic disparities in pediatric dermatology is just like this very collaborative, supportive environment where I I don't think anyone is worried about if they'll publish first on something or publish something better or receive more recognition. I think people are really all trying to like understand and hopefully one day help solve this problem. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you haven't been trained in research methods, or even if you do go get your PhD focused on research, but you weren't focused on biostatistics, then you don't necessarily know how to go about asking the right research question and examining the problem. So I guess that's my long-winded way of saying that for sure, I think I think that there's a lot to learn from this project. I'm happy to talk about the results. And something really cool that came out of this is the methods are so wonky that I, I use Stata as the like statistical software that I use. It could handle parts of our analysis, but then it couldn't like it could handle um, survey weighting, but it couldn't handle multiple mediators. And then so our collaborator that uses R, which is another R Studio or R is another data science package, she figured out that R could handle multiple mediators, but didn't have a package for handling survey weights. 
Um, and so in the end, she ended up writing a whole package for R to, to be able to do mediation analyses like this going forward. And it's available publicly and she has like instructions on how to use it. And so I think this is the kind of thing that people can take going forward and analyze other types of questions like this with different populations or different variables. So yeah, I hope I hope that this adds just to the collaborative world of pediatric dermatology and health disparities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a great unintended outcome, right? That you, there's this now software that can help with future projects like this one. So I want to switch gears just for a couple of minutes and go back and talk about something we addressed at the very beginning of the episode. This project was funded by PEDRA and the National Eczema Association through the 2022 Childhood Eczema Challenge Grant. So talk to me about how this grant came about, what the process was like, and why it was important for you to apply. I mean, it was sort of magical timing. I was already wrapping up my PhD focused on racial and ethnic disparities in childhood eczema and figuring out, I knew I wanted to continue studying or, you know, pursue a postdoc, but wasn't exactly sure how to fund it or how I would go about that. And I felt like this, the request for applications just sort of fell into my lap. And of course, I, I look in one of the sort of more handsomely funded grants was this Childhood Eczema Challenge Grant. And one of the priorities was considering things like racial and ethnic inequalities or disparities in eczema. And so it it was just this really wonderful fit. I had already worked with PEDRA before and found it to be so supportive because PEDRA funded a research fellowship for me during my PhD. And that was a mentored research fellowship with my longtime boss and collaborator, Moise Levy. So basically, I, I sort of had research questions stewing in my brain and some thoughts about how I would go about answering them. And I already had captive mentors who were willing to continue working with me. And so I wrote an application. I had some feedback from some mentors and went for it. That's great. I mean, I can't imagine having to be a researcher and having to be constantly hunting for funding, but this really seemed serendipitous. It was something you were already focused on and then was so wonderfully aligned with work you had been doing. Um, but as a researcher out there in the world trying to get funding, like what are what are some things you've learned along the way, some pearls you might share to somebody who's just maybe stepping into this? I think the most important thing of all is to not underestimate yourself because I work in a field of giants, but we're not all focused on the same thing and we're all not all focused on the same thing at the same time. And, you know, in my clinical world, everyone's not doing research or they're not doing this type of research. And then in my academia postdoc world, not very many people are really looking at the things that I'm looking at. And pretty much every time I have applied for funding of any sort and been lucky enough to receive it, I've been, you know, dumbfounded, shocked, delighted, surprised, amazed that I could have possibly been selected. And I, I just think that we probably 
there are probably lots of people out there who would be equally or better suited for these grants that just assume that they don't have what it takes. And so they don't apply. And I, so I just think you've got to go for it and you learn, you learn a lot each step of the way that makes you a stronger candidate for the next. Okay, Emily. So last question, what's next for you? How do you continue to expand research in this area? I didn't mention, um, but when we started this project that turned into this publication, we were going to look at Black children and Hispanic children when compared to white children. But the results are very different. Um, the disparities look different. It felt the analysis plan needs to be different. It felt like we couldn't do justice to each population by including them in the same publication. So right now I'm sort of ironing out our analysis similar, but also like very different results for Hispanic children compared to white children and socioeconomic status and other reasons for disparities in eczema in the United States. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll hopefully get that published soon. And then my NIH grant that I'm applying for is called, a, some people call it a kangaroo, but it's basically a K99R00 and what that would allow me to do is to continue to be mentored for at least one more year and have sort of more postdoc mentored research questions related to this. And then it is supposed to be a pathway to independence. So basically you finish the K99 part of your aims and then you roll into what's called an R00, which is your independent research study. So you know, hopefully I have a couple more years ahead of me of really awesome people mentoring me and then I'll strike out on my own, but I'm sure still with collaborators for the rest of my career. That is really exciting. I love how much you have embraced mentorship and how it's like, I can really tell it's a core tenet of who you are and the work that you do. I just really appreciate the work that you are doing. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I cannot wait to see what's next. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, Pedro, for all of your support. A very big thank you to Emily Croce for joining me today on Getting to Know Your Research. If you have received Pedro funding and would like to be interviewed on this podcast, please email us at info at pedroresearch.org. And be sure you're following us on all of our social media channels at Pedro Research. And make sure to like and subscribe to our Pedro Pearls podcast channel. Thanks so much for listening.